Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. How y'all doing today? Good. You all well rested? How many of you actually got to like sleep in an extra hour? Show of hands. The rest of you guys with your hands down, you have kids, don't you? Yes. This was an unfortunate event. My daughter had uh, got her first watch. She's never had a watch, and I went ahead and set it yesterday, forgetting that the time changes. And she's also the one that likes to get up early, won't let me come to church on Sunday mornings without bringing her early with me. And so she decides to come into my room multiple times this morning. Yes, you did. I'm looking at you right now. Uh, because she wants me to know that I'm running late this morning, and I didn't have a chance to explain to her about you know, daylight savings time, right? So, uh, so anyway, I'm going to teach her something today, all right? This is going to be a good thing. Uh, I, I want to ask you this question. How many of you all have ever had to unlearn something? Anybody had to unlearn something? I, I, I had this experience. I, I, I distinctly remember when I was in, I was in first grade, uh, my family was, was kind of on a trip. We were going up through Cincinnati, and, and on the left-hand side of the road, I remember there was, a, there was a building that said the Spaghetti Factory. And on top of the Spaghetti Factory, there were trees, and my older brother, who's about five years older than me, he asked my parents, why, why are there trees growing on top of the building? And without skipping a beat, my, my parents said, that's because spaghetti grows on trees. Now, evidently this was a pretty like popular you know, gag, you know, I think they even made, like, uh, the commercials about this. My older brother, because he was older, like, he didn't, he didn't think twice about this. But for me, that was reality, right? And so I, I remember the next year having this argument with my second grade teacher about the fact that spaghetti grows on trees because my parents told me, and I saw it with my very own eyes. It's just something I had to unlearn, right? Still dealing with the pain, all right? But I unlearned that spaghetti does not grow on trees. Now, now maybe, maybe you had to unlearn something. Maybe it wasn't that your parents lied to you, okay? But, but, but maybe you had to unlearn something. that Maybe you've uh, recently changed jobs. Anybody who's kind of gone from one occupation to another or from one business to another, you understand, like, people have different systems. They have different processes in place. And so maybe you learned something, and this is how you knew how to do it. But you go to this new organization, and, and now you have to unlearn all that you've learned in order to fit into their program. Uh, or for those of us that are parents here, okay, uh, it is a natural thing for us to parent like we have been parented. That's just, that just happens. Now, for some of us, that's a, that's a great thing, not a problem. But for other people, um, like, you don't want to parent the same way that you were parented. Well, that means that you actually have to unlearn how you were parented in order to be able to parent your kids. Now, uh, we have to unlearn some things, and if you, if you don't take my word for it, you take, take Master Yoda's word for this, okay? You must unlearn what you have learned, and if, if, if Yoda ever says anything, you can count on it being true, right? Okay? All of us have to unlearn something, and this is the way it is in life in general, and if that's the case, I want to contend with you guys today that, that it's the case for the church as well. It, it, this is what I want to talk to you guys about today. I, I believe... I believe that um, all of us, whether it's through instruction or uh, education or experience, we've come to a conclusion about what the church is and what the church does and what the church should be uh, in one way or another. And I, I, would, I would bet, because of the conversations I've had and the ways in which I've seen this, this play out, that most of us have a picture of what the church is. It's, it's a shadow of its intended purposes. It's a shadow of its intended purpose. And so, uh, so I, I think, we think, that it's time for us to, to rethink the concept of the church, to, to recenter, to course correct, to, to de-church, to de-church. Now, this is what I, what I don't mean. I, when I talk about de-church, I'm not talking about, like, bashing the church or other churches that are in the area or anything like that. I'm not talking about giving up on the church. Now, what I'm talking about is, is changing our paradigm, 
shifting our thoughts on what this actually looks like. And this is actually the series that we're going to be in for the next three weeks. We're going to be talking about D-Church, okay? It's not D-Church, all right? It's D-Church. And we're going we're gonna to have some fun with this, but it's, it's going to be a serious topic because, because my job today is actually to challenge your paradigm the way in which you think about this. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to give a little more, more meat to this and how that actually applies to you personally. But if we're just looking at the church today, in the American church specifically, um, we are losing the battle because we have drifted from the mission. And so the, the one thing that I want to pass along to you today that we're going to chew on, that we're going to process through, that I'm going to, I'm going to try to make a case for is this. If we don't de-church... The world around us will. If we don't de-church, the world around us will. All right, so now if, if, if we're going to know where we need to go as a church, then, then we need to take a look at where we've been. Now, now for some of you guys, you're going to eat this stuff up, all right? Uh, for some of you, uh, you, you might wish that you actually spent that time this morning sleeping, okay? But just follow me for a little bit. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take you guys on a brief history um, of, of the church, okay? And I'm going to keep it as quick as I possibly can. Uh, but I want you to take a look at this timeline, all right? This, is, this timeline is something that I put together just to show us kind of the different eras of the church. And we'll hop into this and hop out of it as quickly as I possibly can. But I think you need to see something here in order for us to understand like where we're at today. And so, first of all, what we see is here in 80, 30, 30 to 33, we have what we call the intended church. This is the, this is the period of time where Jesus was actually living. And he gives credence to this concept of this church, this creation of the church. And the very first time that we actually see uh, the word church mentioned in the New Testament, it actually comes from, from Jesus' own mouth. And we see it here in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus is, is talking to his disciples and he says, hey, what, what do people say about me? And they give him all these kind of answers. And then he looks directly at them and he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter responds, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, a couple of things here in this passage that you need to, uh, need to understand and grasp is this. Uh, the word that Jesus actually used, that we translate the word church, is the word ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia with me. It's kind of a fun word to say, all right? Now, this is what ecclesia means, all right? It means assembly. It means gathering. It means called out once. In other words, Jesus is not referring to a place. He's talking about a people. He's not speaking of a, of a building. He's speaking of a body. He, he's talking about people who will gather together. And, and what, what you see in this particular passage is that as, as Peter, in the context of this, Peter makes a confession of who he says Jesus is. And what Jesus is telling Peter and the rest of the disciples that are around him is this. Yes, see, this is what I'm going to build my church on. People who come to the same conclusion that Peter happened to come to, they're going to gather in my name with this confession in their mouth, and they will be an unstoppable force. Nothing will overcome them, not even the gates of hell. All right, this is the, this is the picture of the church that God has designed, that he has created, and Jesus has kind of commissioned. And then you see Jesus going on from this, and he goes and does his thing. He dies on the cross, and he, he defeats death. He raises from the dead, and right before he ascends, he comes back to this gathering of people that were coming together in his name, these Jesus people, and then he offers them this commission. And, and it's a commission. 
What he says is this. He says, guys, I got to go. Peace out. But I'm leading my spirit. He's going to be with you always. He will not leave you. It's actually his work that I'm asking you guys to do. uh, But it's your responsibility. And I want you to do this collectively. In this gathering. In this assembly. You are my called out ones. And he hands over the mission to the church. To finish what he has started. This is the intended church. This is what we see from the very beginning. And, and then we see this, this gathering of, of the early church. We call this apostolic church. It's the time where the apostles, these, these immediate disciples of Jesus were still around. And we, and we see in scripture how they actually saw themselves. In Ephesians chapter 1 it says this. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts. By, by which he fills everything with his presence. In other words, the the church themselves saw them as being the very representation of Jesus. As Jesus had represented the Father on earth, the church now represents the Son. That that is how they see themselves. They have taken this mission to heart, and and they're saying, I want to represent Jesus. And and, and you see the the word church start to take on a little, uh, two different connotations. One is is like the universal body of Christ. It's the big C church. It's the big thing, right? But then as the word of Jesus starts to spread and other people start to find out about him, they start gathering in all these little places all over the globe. And and then you see the local church arising. And and we're we're fortunate enough to have uh, the book of Acts, which is a recording of the history of the early church. And, And the author, Luke, he offers some insight as to what these local gatherings would do. And, and, he, and he lists all these different descriptions of things that they would do when they get together. But if I was to narrow it down to two things that the church did when they gathered together, it would be this. They raised up and they reached out. Everybody say raised up and reached out. Okay, that's what the early church did. They, they raised up, they came together and they celebrated the fact that there's a God who loves them enough to do what he did. And, and they devoted themselves to, to, to regurgitating what they knew about Jesus and his teachings. And, and they spent that time like building each other up, edifying each other, sharpening each other, encouraging each other. They raised each other up for the purpose of being able to reach out to a lost world who didn't yet know about this good news of Jesus. The early church raised up and they reached out and they continued to grow. In form and fashion. Okay, now what we see here in the timeline is that almost immediately uh, the church came under persecution. In Acts 8, it kind of gives us a description of this. They first were persecuted by the Jews and then by the Romans. We get to the point, and I guess it's several hundred years, but around 300 AD, there's this guy named Nero uh, who was the emperor of, of all the Roman Empire at that time. And he hated Christians. He blamed the fire on them and, and he started to, to persecute them, burn them at the stakes, throw them into the Colosseum. It was a bad time to be a Christian. Now, now catch this, okay? The mode of how these guys gathered and what they did when they gathered, it changed because that happens when, when things around you changes. But the mission stayed the same. You see, in this particular time period of the persecuted church, the, the, the church had to meet in, in, in silence. They, they had to meet in secret. They had to be careful in how they communicated the gospel to others because it might mean their life. But, but guys, don't miss this. They did not compromise the mission. During this this time of the persecuted church, um, the church itself grew more rapidly in these couple hundred years than it has through the rest of all of history. It's amazing to me that the more persecuted that they were, the more powerful they became. 
So Aaron and I have discussed this as a church growth strategy. We just decided that we're going to spend an hour every week just persecuting you, okay? That's what we're going to do. I'm just joking. We're not going to do that, all right? Uh, but, but when you look around the globe, you'll see that the, the church that actually has any kind of opposition to it, it rises up. It rises up. So, so then we move on from the persecuted church, and then something amazing and something devastating happens to the church all at once. This guy named Constantine, who's the ruler over the Roman Empire, all of a sudden has this epiphany. And not only does he release the Christians from their persecution, what he does is he makes Christianity the official religion of the kingdom. And it's an incredible thing because the name of Jesus gets famous overnight in the entire Roman kingdom. But it's devastating because at this point and moment in history, this is the first time it ever happens. There was leadership structures already developed in the church, but this is the first time that the church becomes institutionalized. It becomes about a location. It becomes about power and authority. It becomes about a building. And all of a sudden, the church starts to drift away from its mission to raise up and to reach out. And, and all of a sudden, what happens is, is, is that this became the mindset of the people. It started becoming about a place and a location. It became so much so that when the Bible started getting translated into different languages, as it gets translated into the German language, uh, they translate the word ecclesia into the word kirke. And kirke means this, a place of worship, the house of God. And all of a sudden, the unstoppable gathering of Jesus' people has now been reduced to a place that you go to. Now, this is incredibly important, all right, because from this point forward in the thinking of, of the church, it changes people's mindsets. Because now the church has to do with a place and a location. And the rest of church history, most of the rest of church history is, is about, about people getting together and protesting. This is actually where we get the word Protestant from, protesting this concept of where the church went wrong and how we can get it back to its initial concept, how we can reform it and how we can restore it back to its original intent, to its intended purpose. Now, guys, what I desperately want you to see is this. Uh, that concept of the church being, uh, is not being a place but being a people, that, that might not be revolutionary to you. You've probably heard that before, but I desperately want you to get this, guys. Understand this. How you think about something, how you see something, the paradigm in which you see it will affect how you respond to it. it you cannot help but actually respond to things according to how you see them. And this is, how it, this is how it works. If you see the church, when you hear the church, and all you think of is a location that you go to, you think of it as an institution that does some good things, you might see it as a hierarchy of, of, of professional clergy that tells you what to do and, and, and what to believe. Or maybe it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a place that you go to to be educated or entertained. If that's the way that you see the church, then naturally you will respond to that accordingly. And it typically looks, it typically looks like entitlement. This is what I deserve. This is what I want to get. This is what I want. Or it looks like indifference. That's what they're going to do, and I'm over here. But, 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 if you see the church in its intended form, if you start to see the church as a, as a gathering of people, of Jesus people, that gather in the name of Jesus, who when they get together, they, they raise up and they reach out, they see themselves as the very representation of Christ to a lost world, the, the fulfillment of the mission that he began, that will radically shift the way in which you respond to being the church. And typically, it comes with this response of empowerment. And, and that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit, guys. Because if, if we don't de-church, then the world around us will. 
If we don't shift our paradigm, then we will drift from the mission. That, that is just how it works. And so let's, let's fast forward to present day. Okay? Let's talk about where we stand right now and, and how this function of the church and how we saw this for so many centuries actually affects us today. And we're going to talk about kind of the model of the American church. And, and I'm going to do it by using this illustration here. Just hang on with me here as we go. But most of us see the church within a box, somehow a box, all right? We have our own understanding and concept of the box. And this box typically happens on a Sunday morning like what you guys are experiencing. And we call this church. We say we're going to church, right? Well, what we do is we invite people that don't come here to go here, right? This is what we, this is the uh, basic model of the American church that we see. So we invite people to come to church, and the hope is that when they come to church, they will come to find out who Jesus is, okay? Now, this happens all the time, and, and this, is, this is a wonderful thing when it actually works, but, but there are many issues that we see today that don't allow this to work. One of the things that you find out with the American church is uh, that we have actually been in decline, all right? The number of people who actually call uh, a church home uh, and go to a place on a regular basis is declining. Matter of fact, 85% of churches in America today are either stagnant, they've plateaued, or they're in decline. Between 4,000 and 7,000 churches are estimated to close their doors this year, okay? That is problematic with this particular model of ministry. But that's not the only thing that we find is a problem, all right? One of the other things that we see is that most of these environments are not conducive for you to invite your friends to. Now, now some of you guys have invited your friends here to this place today, and man, I commend you. And for those of you all that have showed up today to, ha to have this conversation, guys, thank you for coming and opening up your mind. We try to be a place that is an environment where you can be invited to. But, but a lot of churches, and maybe you all have experienced this, they're not places that you would actually invite your friends. Matter of fact, there's this guy named Bill Hybels who's, who's been an, an incredible leader within the modern church and, and, and is a pastor in another church. And he says this, he says, I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. But the first 18 years of my life, the one word I would have used to describe church was hopeless. You see, I thought that at the very best, I would be minimally engaged with the church for the rest of my life. The church we attended when I was growing up was one I practically wanted to protect people from coming to so it wouldn't do more harm to the reputation of Christ. I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of an experience like that, but, but it's painful. Matter of fact, Aaron uh, threw out um, on Facebook a, a couple weeks back, and, and he said, you know, hey, why, why don't you invite your friends to church? And, and, and one of the comments came up very similar to this. It's like, I'm afraid that if I invited my friends to come to this place, I don't know how they'd be treated. I don't know how the, the people who gather here would actually respond to them. Guys, that, that is problematic. That is problematic. And, and so when we see this thing, breaking down here, we don't necessarily invite our friends. And even if we did, uh, it's generally accepted that only about 40% of the people that we would ask would actually be, uh, like, they would, this, this thing would actually appeal to them. They would actually want to show up at a church to find truth, to find community. And, and that's, that's kind of generally accepted as being the, the statistic that we see around, okay? So again, we're, we're only hitting a certain amount. But get this, okay? Even if, even if we ask the right people, and even if we created the right environment, and we get them to come... A lot of churches aren't doing a, an extremely effective job at actually helping them get to the cross, at pointing them to Jesus. I, I, was, part of a, I was a part of a church um, several years back, and, um, and we had this situation where um, there was a guest who came for the very first time, 
and uh, they were sitting behind somebody that I happen to know, and that person knows Jesus. And after the service, uh, what, what happened was is the guest got in a conversation with this guy, and um, he said, you know, I would, I would really like to know about a relationship with Jesus, which is an incredible thing. That is making this box effective. People are coming saying, I would really like to know these things. He volunteers this information. Now, the, the person that he's talking to says, that's awesome. It's awesome. Let me take you out to, there's a place called Starting Point. It's kind of like what our guest services. Let me take you to guest services because there are people that are there that are trained to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus. Okay, and this is what we did. So he actually takes them out to a, a person at guest services and hands them off to that person and says they would be interested in a relationship with Jesus. That person at guest services then proceeds to talk with them and say, you know what, we actually have a class in three weeks that tells people about Jesus. Can I sign you up for that class? And so they start to sign this person up for the class. And, and as they're doing that, I'm kind of walking by. And, and they stop me and they're like, hey, Corey, uh, come on over here because I was in charge of this particular area. They introduced me to this person. And as I'm starting to have a conversation, I realize that they want to know about a relationship with Jesus. And so now they pass them off to the pastor to have a conversation with them about Jesus. Now, guys, hear me. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I love, it is an incredible privilege for me to be able to sit across with somebody and have a conversation with them about who Jesus is and, and, and why he's worth following, why he's well, like worth giving up your life for, okay? I love that, but there's something inside of me when I look at that scenario that just says, this is wrong. This is wrong. How is it that somebody who talks to two different people that already know the hope that they have in Jesus gets passed off to three different things and finally ends up to the pastor to tell them about Jesus. Guys, something is incredibly wrong with that particular system. And I have to ask my, myself this question, who's to blame? Like, whose fault is this? It's mine. Some form of fashion, and you know why? Because somehow, some way, we have limited what the church is, is and what it should be and what we should do with it. And, and somehow in this, in this form, whether it's because of like our, our, our own selfish gratification as, as professional clergy um, or, or your own abdication of your particular responsibility, it, it's, it's become the pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. Just get them to church and then I'll tell them about Jesus. Guys, that was never the commission that was given to us as the church, as an individual disciple of Jesus. And, and we have to get back to a, a place of empowerment to where you feel that you actually have the ability to be able to share the good news that you found with your friends when they ask you. When they ask you. Alright, so the fact of the matter is, is uh, we don't do an effective job at getting people here and we don't do an effective job of getting people there. Uh, only 40% of, of us actually would even accept the call. And what we see is, is here right here in Colorado Springs, let's make this, let's make this personal, okay? Here in Colorado Springs, uh, only about 17% of the population calls uh, a, a local church home. I don't know if you guys know that or not. If you all think about Colorado Springs, which I do, like I think of like lots of churches on every corner and this is like the Bible Belt of the, of the West. And, but, but the fact of the matter is, is is the church model that we have currently is not effectively reaching the people here in Colorado Springs. And, and if that's the case, then we have to rethink how we're doing church. We have to de-church, because if we don't de-church, the world around us will. So, let's, let's pause for a moment. Um, I, I want to talk to you guys about this, because we see this happening 
And, and as, uh, as a leadership team, you, you guys got to understand, one of the reasons why we came from Arizona to plant a church here in Colorado Springs is because we see this happening. We, we see the, the church here in the Springs actually losing ground. There's a chasm that's growing and there's a barrier that's, that's going in between that. And we believe that we need to step in to be able to help figure out how to, how to bridge that gap. Matter of fact, Einstein said this. He says, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that we used when we created them. And so we feel that as a church, that if we don't want to, uh, to enact this definition of organizational insanity where we continue to do the same thing and expect a different result, we have to insert something different into our community to be able to see things differently, for our community to see things differently, for you to be able to understand the church differently. And so what we do as a church is we try our very best to make the box as appealing as possible. To, to make it a place, an environment where your friends are welcome to come. We try to use language that your friends are going to understand. That we're not going to try to over-spiritualize things. We're going to talk about topics that actually matter. And we're going to point people to Jesus as effectively as we possibly can. We're going to have the intentional conversations that we can when we do that. And we've seen that this year as we've baptized 40 different people. It's been incredible, okay? But guess what? That's still not enough. Because what about the other 60%? What about the other 60%? There's a whole other population that lives around us. That may be in your house, might be your neighbor, could be your coworker, that lives around you, that will never come to church in order to be able to find Jesus. Matter of fact, the 60% flat out say that they won't come here. For whatever reason, uh, they're, they're nuns, they're duns, they've had the experience, they don't want anything to do with the church. And, it, and if they don't come here, then the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we get them there? Because guys, don't miss this. Our job, the goal is not to get somebody to come to church. It's to get them to, to be introduced to Jesus and let him do the work with them. So if that's the case, if we're rethinking church, if we're de-churching, then that means that, that we that gather here, we have to do a better job of empowering you. Matter of fact, that, that is the job of, of, the, of the pastor in Ephesians chapter 4, that my job is actually to equip and empower the saints to do the work that God has prepared ahead of time. Remember, Jesus comes to that gathering people. He says, hey, you guys go make disciples. I'm giving you my spirit. Get together. Now go out and do it. Raise up and reach out. Well, what we need to be able to do is, is actually empower you guys. Empower you guys to make you confident of the hope that you have. And if you haven't experienced that hope yet, let us have a conversation with you. We'd love to talk with you about that. And we want to encourage you guys, hey, invite as many people as you possibly can because they might be the 40% and they might show up here. But the fact of the matter is there's going to be a lot of people that are around you that aren't the 40%. They're going to be the 60%. They're going to be people who don't show up here. And so how is it that we can give you an opportunity to be able to invite them into your homes, to be able to invite them into your neighboring groups, to be able to invite them over to coffee, to be able to, to just have a conversation with them so that you might be able to point them to Jesus with your lives, with your story, with the question, with the comment in some way, some fashion, be able to allow them to see Jesus differently. Because if we don't, if we don't do this, guys, then the 60% won't know Jesus. They won't know Jesus. 
Now, the consequence of this is that when we do this effectively and we empower others, then they actually bring people to Christ and then the church grows because those people then see the value of the church in the process. It's an amazing thing. But if we don't get this right, if we don't de-church from our minds, then we will never be able to see this clearly. Guys, we need to do both and. We need to do this extremely effective and we need to do this extremely effective. There's a guy who... Uh, his name is Eric Hoffer, and he says this. He says, in times of drastic change, it's the learners who inherit the future. The learned usually find themselves equipped to live in a world that no longer exists. And, and if I'm being honest with you right now, if we look at the state of the church, we, we've created uh, a perfect environment for a world that no longer exists. And the result is that these churches are dying off, and they're not actually reaching out. And they're, they're not growing with people who are far from God. It's because they've not allowed their paradigms to shift. And because of that, they've, they've drifted. They've drifted from their mission. Guys, we don't want to be a church that does that. We want to be a church that embraces the mission. And, and we think creatively. We think creatively to figure out how we can actually do that. And so here, here at Trace, one of the things that you'll, you'll see that we do is we put a lot of time and effort into figuring out, are we actually effectively doing what we've been called to do? And so the way that we speak about things, the topics that we talk about, we, we're not going to compromise the truth that God has given us, but we're going to figure out different ways in which we can communicate these things. And we're going to challenge you guys to be able to see yourself as the church. This is not a place that you go to. It is a mission that we are united on so that we might be able to reach a lost world around us. If you don't de-church, then the world around you will. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to talk about what that actually looks like on a personal level. We've talked to you kind of on the philosophical level, on the, on the, uh, the, the church organizational level, but, but, but what does that look like for you personally to de-church, to be unchurched in your own mind so that you might be able to reach out to those around you that might even say that I am de-churched? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Thank you for giving us insight. Thank you for allowing us to see things in the past that help us understand where we need to go in the future. Lord, we, we ask your forgiveness for ways in which we have been entitled uh, or indifferent. Lord, I pray that you would truly help us to be able to understand that, that we actually embrace the very mission that you've given us. We have all the power in this world to be able to accomplish what you have set forth for us to accomplish. Lord, I pray that we would not see this as a, as a place to come, to be entertained. Father, we don't seek to entertain Christians. We don't seek to entertain anyone. We, we seek to empower the church to actually be what you have called us to be. Help us figure that out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.